to add to all the other parts of the body of Christ around the world, like now we're thinking a lot about the U.S., but it's the U.S., but the whole world. You know, the U.S. really affects the whole world, too, and the whole world affects the U.S. But we do have a prayer time scheduled for Wednesday, October 28, at 11 a.m. here at the church house. We'll meet right over in this area. We're going to pray for the upcoming elections, the Supreme Court nomination that is still going through. Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, anything else the Holy Spirit puts on our hearts? So everyone who is available, come, even if it's for part of the time. If you can be here for part of that. It's, we've done the last two weeks. It's been done around 12. And then, of course, 10 o'clock Wednesday morning, we have our touch point and teaching. And we share things just to get us updated on whatever we need to as a church family. It's especially needed, I think, during this time when we aren't all able to be together, like this way on Sundays. And then, yes, there's a teaching as well. That's on Facebook. It's eventually put on YouTube. What we do on Sunday mornings is YouTube and Facebook live stream and then archived. School of Ministry is Wednesday evening. That's at 7 o'clock. You can do that either here with Pastor Dean or you can do it on a Zoom meeting. Contact Pastor Dean at 553-0634 or call the church number 5862960. This study tonight, or this Wednesday, will be Light of Life. Light of Life. And Peter and Linnea, could you share about the youth meeting Wednesday? Yes, we started last week, and we're starting at 6 p.m., and it's going to about 7.30, so come bring your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're really excited about this year and excited to see what God does. Yes, and... Um, Winter weather announcements had kind of slipped up on us this year, on me at least. I wasn't expecting the snow quite this soon, but it's pretty much like we've done other years that uh, if there's a warning in place, not a watch, but a warning, if a warning is in place during the hours that we would be meeting, um, then what we'll do is Joyce and I will We'll come and now we get to live stream. You know, now we'll do a live stream during the storms. If Doug can get get here. <laughs> and if we can get here. And I think we need a that's something we do need some people that we can train to help Doug. Doug get John of course too and we're just thankful all the, for all those that work in our uh, we got an audio-visual booth. We need to expand the booth now, always here. That, that's a project that needs to happen too. But we do need some more helpers with that area as well. And we know that you're listening. Just had a, just read an email from yesterday of someone that watched the first time and it really blessed last week. Uh, Gus sharing. Um, thank you for letting us know about those things too. Uh, when you are blessed by that. But anyway, um, we'll have those prayer times. And the thing is, I was watching a speaker from Billy Brim's Autumn Prayer Assembly yesterday morning. And it was Chip Brim who actually has spoken here in our church. And he was talking about prayer. And he was saying, you know, we don't have to pray, we get to pray. We don't have to pray, we get to. But it's our choice. And like we've talked about before, it's not something that we 
God doesn't want to force us to do things. Just like we don't want to force someone to love us, we know that doesn't work, right? Same with him. And he doesn't want to force us to love him. He doesn't want to force us to pray. I mean, but we get to because we love him. And you know, the prayer work, you might call it, laboring in prayer, in the spirit realm, it manifests in the natural realm. And yes, our part is a part of the whole that's needed. Our commander-in-chief, Jesus, has special assignments for us individually and corporately right now as a church. So it's time, and this is something that Chip Brim brought out yesterday, it's something the Lord showed Joyce and I on our Seek the Lord time. It was so confirming. Actually, it was something when he showed us on the Seek the Lord time, I thought of Chip Brim because he had mentioned the Scripture, Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. And it talks about, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. The glory, the glory of the Lord comes forth. The reign of the Spirit comes forth even as we pray for it. Something he mentioned there was that rain, he says, it really doesn't fall. He said rain is pulled down by gravity. And he said, he didn't mention former and latter reign of the Spirit, but I thought of that, but he was thinking of the glory pulling down, we as believers. It's time for the glory of the Lord to be manifest in the earth. What do you mean glory of the Lord? The manifest presence of God. And we've been sensing his presence here. I sense him here right now. Do you have your sensor, your antennas out? I know we can be sitting right in a meeting and not have a clue, but then we need to get our sensors out. He is here. He is here. That scripture says, Arise! This is the translation that Chip standing right around here somewhere read from. It was the Amplified Classic. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and dense darkness all peoples. But, say but, but. the Lord shall arise upon you. And that's Jerusalem, it's ten strike, it's wherever. And his glory shall be seen on you. It's in the church house. It's in your house, it's in your workplace, it's in the school, wherever we are, wherever we go. His glory. Scott and Cindy, could you come up? Just have a seat, maybe. If you can, I think you can, or right over there is easier, I guess. A lot of stuff sitting down here. And, and why don't you grab that mic right there, too. But... To arise, and this is some of the things that he shared there yesterday. I wasn't going to listen to this because I thought I need to work on my other stuff that I need to do to prepare for things, but I couldn't get away from it. So I listened to the whole message that Chip shared. But this was there, and it so confirmed what Joyce and I had gotten. And he said, to arise, many must separate from some things. But the thing is, we get to separate 
from stuff that would detract us from God. The weights, like Hebrews 12, 1 talks about. The weights, the besetting sins, the things that maybe even we wouldn't call sin, but that would keep us from really communing with him and receiving that wholeness, knowing that wholeness, which Peter and I are going to talk about here, that we are in, in him, and then praying in confidence in this hour, and probably for your family, for your nation, for the world, for whatever the Lord shows you, but separating for the glory, separating for the glory of God, separating ourselves to God's purpose for my life. Yeah, I got to preach on me, Linnea. <laughs> God is calling you, and he's calling me to be separated to the purpose that he has for our lives now, in this hour. Did you hear what the Spirit is saying? It's the time now. Now. N-O-W. Say it with me. Now. The, the enemy has come with low-level demons to throw you off of God's plan and purpose for your life. That was a statement of Brim, and that's another thing that we've been seeing. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of stuff, lots of stuff going on. But don't you let him. Don't you let him throw you off from that purpose for your life. Whether it's sickness or finances or lusts of some things or way too much time doing something. A lot of things are really good, but if it takes, it consumes our time so we don't have time communion with God, we're not going to know who we are in Him or what we have in Him. We don't know that we are whole in Him. And don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in prayer right now. Don't grow weary. Be faithful. Sometimes we don't see a lot of fruit around. But let's be faithful. Don't be concerned about the fruit. Be faithful. We're to abide in the vine and know our wholeness. The fruit will come. The fruit will come. It'll be there. Peppers will come. I grew peppers all year. They got ripe just for Adana Maria. You have the bag there? Hold the bag up there. Let's see that. I want to show them the bag. The fruit will come. The fruit will come. Bring it up here, Adon. Just set it up here. These are hot peppers. These are ghost peppers, and I thought, holy ghost peppers. <laughs> peppers. The fruit came. It took a while. I mean, the plant was just like this. It was a seed first, a little plant. Grow, 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 grow. And look at that. But be faithful to your calling. Be faithful. Faithful to arise in praise like we did this morning in prayer and worship. And you know what? This is something Chip said that really caught me. He says, do not allow your personality to affect or change your worship and prayer. But rather, mature praise and worship, let it affect your personality. You know, oftentimes we'll say, well, I'm not very expressive. That's just not my personality to express my, my love for God and praise and worship or even like lifting my hands or whatever we do. We're not saying you have to do that, but it's a thing of expression from the heart. 
I'm going to read that again. Do not allow your personality to affect or change your worship, but rather allow praise and worship to affect your personality. Arise from any complacency. Arise from complacency. Hallelujah. And the Lord will show you his strategies for doing this. He will show you in the secret place. The time is now. The day is now. And we have Scott and Cindy who are leading the way with, I'd like you to share what we're going to be doing here now. Starting after church today, right? Why don't you stand right there and just you can look in the camera and then around too, but in the light there and just stand and just share with the church family. Um, it's been a little over a month ago now that uh, the Lord just really started to speak to me about the importance of, of praying and fasting in this season that we're in right now. It is, it is as Pastor was sharing, it is a watershed. Our country is in the crux. It's going to go one way or another. And uh, it's up to his body. It's up to his body. He, he doesn't tell the, he doesn't tell the, the Gentile, the, the pagans, to, that they need to repent. He's, he's talking to his, his church, and he says, if you repent, turn from your wicked ways. Seek my face. So how many, how many times do we like to seek his hand? You know, how many times do we go to prayer and we're seeking his hand? We want something. But he wants us to seek his face. He wants us to seek his relationship. And, uh, and then he says he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. Boy, our land needs healing. I don't think I have to tell you that. But the Lord just, you know, all my life I've struggled with prayer. You know, it's just, I find it interesting. You know, I mean, I would, I would just, you know, try to, you know, spend concentrated time in prayer. And, you know, it just seems like my mind is going and, you know, you know maybe for 10 seconds I'm focused. But then the next thing you know, I'm off somewhere else. And it's, prayer has always been a struggle for me. And it, I'm just beginning to come to an understanding, I think, that this is, the reason for this possibly is because God has called me to pray. That's, that's been my calling, and, and, and the enemy has been fighting me all my life. But I just feel this burning passion yeah. to pray. Yeah. And right about the same time that, that God was speaking to me about this, he started giving Cindy some dreams and some other confirmations about uh, an upper room and, and a concentrated prayer movement. And so um, today, uh, Franklin Graham called a national day of prayer and fast for our nation. And so... Um, what was that, yeah. uh, Franklin Graham uh, called uh, today okay. to be a national day of prayer and fasting. Okay. And uh, so starting today, uh, Cindy is, is, and myself, whenever I can, will be um, in the upper room upstairs, and we're planning, Lord willing, to, uh, for it to be 24-7 um, through, well, we'll see when it ends. Um, not sure if it'll go all the way to the election or... But right now, we're just planning to go until the Spirit uh, leads otherwise. So, but it's just going to be, you know, everybody's invited. Um, and uh, if, if you want to come, um, get a hold of us so that we can give you our number so that you can text us, text us when you're at the door so we can let you in if it's off hours. And, uh, and stay for as long as you can. We plan on having the um, door open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Um, and I know that there's, there's going to be some people who are going to stay overnight 
and, and help and continue to pray through the night. Um, I've already got a few people that are wanting to do that. Um, praise God. Um, this was probably one of the hardest decisions um, I have made. Um, I've never fasted for seven days or eight days um, before, so um, this really fights my flesh, wants to fight this. Um, but I know that we're going to be contending for a lot of things. Um, we want this to be Holy Spirit-led, so there's not an agenda. Um, we just want the Holy Spirit to speak. Um, as we pray in the Spirit, I believe words are going to come forth, and he's going to show us um, at that time and at that hour what to be praying for. So I just thank the Lord that um, this is God. This wasn't us. Um, we are not doing this in the flesh. Um, like I said, this really fights our flesh. Um, so we are going to be faithful. <laughs> like Pastor Steve said, that really spoke to me this morning. Um, not only faithfulness, but obedience. Um, and I know personally, I'm going to be contending for the glory because the glory is what God has on my heart. Um, so come, be a part of this. Um, if you want to fast breakfast, if you want to fast lunch, if you want to fast dinner, and just come and pray, that would be awesome. If you want to do an entire day of fasting and come and pray, that would also be amazing. Um, or for however long the Lord would lead you. Um, we And something there too, a fast can be like a partial fast or like a Daniel fast, you know, meats or something, some kinds of foods. Or it could be some kind of television, some things on TV or you know, whatever, that would give you more time to devote, to start being with the Lord and listening to Him. A lot of it, I'm sure, will be just be abiding with Him, just being with Him and listening to Him. So get a, get a hold of Scott or Cindy, Scott and Cindy, I guess, and, and uh, you know, talk to them. If you're watching online and you want to do this, I, I guess, how can they get their your phone number? Should we give it right now, or do you want them to? Okay. Well, you know it's two, or isn't it 218? <laughs> okay, 612-469-2879. Okay. You're going to need let you share what the Lord has for this moment. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Let's just pray before we start here. We just ask, Father, that you, the Lord of hosts, would be among us today, that you'd be sitting with us, you'd be whispering in our ears, that the things that you would have us hear, you would, you would speak to us, that it wouldn't just be me and Nea speaking, but it would be you speaking, Jesus. So we just ask that in your name. All right, so this morning, uh, I'd like to start with um, something that, that really that struck me while we were um, planning together. We were thinking about this sermon. We were contemplating about various things we want to talk about today. And, and as it often happens, it, something will spring to mind, some, some part of the Bible usually. Um, and I couldn't help but find myself ruminating uh, on one of my just my absolute favorite books of the Bible, uh, maybe not the, the book you would expect, uh, the book of Job. <laughs> now, now, I know what you might be thinking, Job, Peter, what, what are you thinking there, bud? Um, have, you, have, you, have you opened a newspaper lately? Have you, you flicked on the TV? Uh, the last thing we want to hear about today is the book of Job. Uh, what do we have to learn from the book of Job, we might wonder, so... The book of Job, uh, it starts with a familiar story uh, that most of us probably know. Um, there's a man, he's na his name is Job, 
Um, Job's a wealthy man. Job is a happy man. Job worships the one true God of the universe faithfully. And God loves Job very, very much. But Satan, we hear, the accuser, the adversary, evil, darkness, he makes a very bold claim. He tells God that if he can infect Job's world with death and destruction and pain, if he were allowed to strip away everything that made Job who he was, his riches, his happiness, his success, everything that he ever loved and depended on in life, his very, his very appearance, in fact. Um, as we learn in, in chapter 2, one of the things maybe we remember about Job is that he's covered in boils at one point, right? It says uh, in chapter 2, from the crown of his head to the tips of his toes, that changes your very appearance, right? Your entire visage will be completely erased. You are no longer the same person. Every bit of himself is taken. Uh, he's no longer recognizable by the end of that part of the story, right? He's been changed. Everything's been lost. It's been stolen from him. However, if you've uh, ever taken a look at the book of Job, um, you know that this, this familiar part of the story, the part we probably all know, is only the first two chapters. Um, and it's actually, if you look, it's only a, a frame around a much longer part of the book. Forty, Forty more chapters run after that, and that's the meat of the book. And it has almost very little to do with that beginning part. Uh, it just flows from it. Now, this meat of the book, this 40 chapters, is made out of, of a very lengthy series of stylized, formal arguments <laughs> in which Job is debating with his friends of a series of very complex theological issues. Uh, and it might seem, if you were to open up your Bible now, flip to the middle of Job, try reading a bit, um, you might find it bland, kind of flowery language, it's, it's wordy, it's a lot of jargon, um, the kind of things that you might want to just skip right over, move to the end of the story, right? Um, but I can assure you that upon closer examination, what is expressed in the book of Job are some of the most heated and controversial ideas of all time. Uh, while there's much more to be said about those discussions, uh, it will suffice to say this morning that the main concern uh, of the book of Job is the relationship between the state of our fallen world, the responsibility that we hold for our own sin, and, of course, the nature of God's sovereignty over it all. And this book begs a lot of difficult questions, right? Why do bad things happen? Why isn't the very good nature of God that we know realized in the world around us? Are bad things a sign of divine judgment on the pun and punishment for our sins? Whose side is God on anyway? Is it better faith to hope for good things to come? Or is it better to bear diligently with, bear diligently with the pain of today? and not worry about tomorrow. It's questions like these that I believe are at the heart of much of our current everyday rhetoric, wouldn't you say? Um, the fears, the doubts, the divisions that plague our nation. Um, everyone has a problem they want to champion. Everyone has a different solution. Everyone is looking in every direction all at once. One man's informed is another man's ignorant. <laughs> one man's, what one man calls love, another man might call hate. Um, Everyone's asking, who's to blame for this? Who's to blame for that? Who's responsible? Who will pay and who will benefit? What's the truth? What is good even? What is God? Who is God? What is, what is God doing about it all? And there's part of me that wishes that I could tell you this morning that Job goes on to dictate a series of very uh, firm answers on this swirling chaos and noise, but uh, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't at all. Instead, uh, the book of Job does something that I believe is far greater and far more important for us to hear. The book of Job ends when God himself joins the debate. He joins in. But instead of addressing all those seemingly crucial issues, all the things that we got to know, what's the answer, what's the answer? Instead, God takes the discussion in a different direction. He paints for Job a grand vision of the world he shows Job all the things that he could never see on his own. The depths of the sea, the heights of the heavens, the stars in the sky. He shows things 
to Job that are beyond human comprehension. Things so monstrous, so impenetrable, so indestructible that even the cumulative effort of all mankind could never stand against the things that God holds in his hand. And God weighs these things, and it's effortless for him. He looks at it all, and he sees it all, all at once, and he's glad. It's happy. It's something that he made. It's his. And it's at this point that you realize that after all the pontificating and philosophizing and theorizing and trying to nail God down to a set of rules and ideas and a set of knowledge that we could then we could own and we can control, and we can get a full picture of what God's all about um, that takes up those other 40 chapters of the book, that what was really at stake the whole time after all that discussion uh, was never any of those controversies. It was never any of those issues or debates or never any of the questions and concerns that so consume and haunt humanity throughout all time. What was always at stake was our perception of the nature of who God is, the perception of his character, knowing who he is for ourselves, knowing him despite the fact that Job is repeatedly called a righteous man throughout the whole book. And we are told that he doesn't sin against God the entire time. He's supposed to be the most righteous man on earth. Job's last lines come as a response to this new revelation. And this is probably what really struck me as I read them, is that, is that Job is supposed to be... Uh, a representation of the extreme. He knows God better than anybody else on earth, right? And, but when he's confronted with the, the true glory, when he sees God, this is what he says at the end of the book. These are his Job's last lines. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and in ashes. And that is to say that everything I ever thought I knew, the systems of spirituality that I've been working within, that I've been working within my whole life, the basis of how I understood myself and how I understood God, it entirely unravels. It undoes itself when I come into close, intimate, and entirely real relationship of knowing God on that personal level. And I'm beyond humbled because I find that there is nothing left of me worth saving if it is not entirely defined by who you are, God. And just what is the nature of this God, we might ask, who is so great and so mighty and beyond the conception of the greatest strivings of all mankind to try to figure out? And what is the consequence of coming into contact with this almighty God, of letting all the stuff fall away, as you see him for who he is, unmaking you to your very core. Well, we have to look at how the story ends, right? Um, Job, is Job left there? Is he left at that place of being a mere nothing amid the dust and the ashes, that, that humble place where, where nothing left of him is left? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, we find that the very end of the story, God's final response to seeing Job in this place is to restore to him, uh, but not just to give him the life that he had, but he is given in a completely new life, a renewed life, a life which is doubly wealthy, he is doubly blessed, he is honored by everybody who knows him, and everything he touches prospers. And his life is extended far beyond the hopes of any mortal man. The picture of Job becomes a picture of wholeness. And not just any wholeness, but a wholeness that we could never have hoped for in our wildest imaginings. Job thought he was in a great place before. He knew who God was. He had all the, the best theology. He had the best philosophy. He knew what he was all about. But when it came to the reality of who God was, he realized that it wasn't until that moment at the very end that he really knew who God was because he met him for real. The wholeness is not our own, but it affects the very world that we live in. <laughs> and I think that we find ourselves today in a world where every man is a kind of Job. We see Jobs all over the place, don't we? So I wonder, as a church today, what part we will play in that great discourse of humanity as we're all talking <laughs> and all the voices are going on. We're trying to debate and find out who is this God? What are we all about? What is the point of humanity? 
I wonder if we will be like the fair-weather friends of Job, who, who like to diagnose the sickness, who like to try to say, this is, why you need to, this is what you need to do, this is what the problem was, and go on and on and have so many words about it. Or will we remember that it is the Spirit of God that lives in each of us? And that it is we who reveal the very nature of who God is. If we are the people who reveal who God is, I think, no longer will we see Job's in the world being reduced to dust and ashes and being trampled down, but we'll see Job restored in the world. Existing as life and life abundantly, that picture of Job can be the picture of humanity at the end. A few months ago, before the start of so many things this year that have kind of <laughs> uh, thrown many of our, our lives into chaos, uh, before it all started, uh, on a quiet morning, before COVID, before election season, um, I had a dream, and I shared it once before, and I think I'll share it again this morning because I think uh, it relates to some of these, these ideas that we're thinking about of wholeness. And I wrote, this, I wrote this down. I wrote, uh, this morning I had a dream in which I was a teacher in a preschool or a kindergarten class. And everywhere in this class, bouncing from every wall, there were these chaotic, they were rambunctious, little five-year-olds. And there was a vast sea of these precious little people everywhere as far as you could see. And if you know me, you would recognize this is not what you would call my natural habitat. I am normally a creature of quiet contemplation, uh, the very antithesis of my dream surroundings. It's precisely as you might imagine and expect it to be. It's loud, it's rowdy, it's hectic, it's unkempt. Uh, and in the midst of this uh, austere educational institution, there's these children simply being children, asking and taking without a please or a thank you, Distracted and leaving things half-finished, running from project to project. They're so eager for the next excitement that their little world holds, right? But in this dream, as I walk among them, I find that I am unaffected by it all. I'm undeterred, and most of all, I'm entirely unsurprised by their immaturity. Instead, I find myself smiling, and I find myself smiling broadly, just enjoying being in the midst of them all watching them, listening to their cute little attempts at conversation, their trial and error at life in miniature. And I can see clearly that the room is out of control, but I am not out of control. As their teacher, this is the very atmosphere I came expecting to find. These were my students, and I love them quite dearly. And as the dream unfolds, all the other kids begin to clear out of the class for the day, but all except for one child who remains. Uh, and this child is not just looking sad, but they're looking mortified to their very core. They're trembling. They're fearful. It's a small girl, and she's standing there with little tears pooling up in her eyes, and in her outstretched hand was a broken porcelain teacup. It was the kind of thing you see in antique shops. It's delicate. It's well-crafted, intricately decorated, and utterly shattered into a million pieces in the hands of a terrified child. So I go down on one knee so that I could look directly at her, eye to eye. I wasn't smiling, but it wasn't because of the things she'd done, but it was that overwhelming need to address that look that had mortified her face. Because what else can you do when you see a small child so scared, so upset? So I take her little hands and before she can even say anything or try to explain herself or try to apologize for her actions, I take her to the corner of the room. And there in the corner of the room stands this old hutch of some kind. And it's made of wood. It's beautiful. Uh, and when I open it, it's filled with hundreds upon hundreds of teacups. Shelf upon shelf upon shelf. And this little girl, she just stands there. She's amazed. Her mouth is wide open, but she still, she just still doesn't quite understand. So I reach up, and I take one down. And while I simultaneously scoop the broken shards of the old cup from her one hand, I am pressing the new cup, a whole cup, into her astonished palms. And grasping there, I say to her, Did you think that I would ever give you something and not know that it possibly could break? <laughs> I am always ready, and I have more than enough. 
And then the vision begins to fade, and as I'm coming into the waking world from this dream, everything sort of spins around, and I realize that I am the child, and I'm looking upwards over the rim of that beautiful new cup, and it now seems larger than life, pressing lightly into both my palms, and held there securely by the gentle hands that I'm looking up at, and I find that as I continue to look up, the room and everything in it has lost its definition, and I am left meeting the proud smile and the warm eyes of Jesus himself. And in that fraction of a moment of recognition and awe and childlike wonder is as I awake. Let's just take a moment and just rest in what Jesus is wanting to say to our hearts. Every time I hear that dream, I just feel a new part of myself just connecting to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our wholeness. Thank you. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here into how to apply the truth that Jesus or that Peter is talking about, um, and so and how to renew our minds to grasp this all-powerful, all-incredible revelation of this true love that God has for us, this abundance he has for us. So Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children in the light. So I've always read this verse with an in, like you once were in darkness, now you are in light. And while I totally think there is something to being in the darkness and being in the light, something I realized recently is this is talking about identity. You once were darkness, you once were the sin that you did. You once were defined by the darkness within you or the darkness around you, but now you are light. That is your identity. That is who you are because of who he is. And so when we look at that, um, then we realize that we are defined not by anything we do or anything that happens to us, like Peter was talking about, but who God is. I'm going to read a quote um, by Danny Silk. Um, I've been reading a book called Culture of Honor. Highly recommend it. And he says, just because you have darkness in you doesn't change your true identity. And I'd also add, just because there's darkness around you, it doesn't define you. Um, And in this book, something that he talks about, he gives an example, like an illustration. And he said that there was a time where he stepped on a nail. And he didn't think, I'm a nail, I'm a nail. Oh, I guess I just need to leave this nail in. It's a part of me. It's just who I am. But he said, how do I get this out? I need to get this out. And he was with a couple friends, and so they were trying to figure out how to get it out and gently pull it out. And he likened this to when we are light, when we are children of light, when we do make a mistake, then it's not, oh, well, I guess that's just who I am. That's who I am. It's, no. I have the power, I have the authority, the Holy Spirit's in me to get this thing out. 
I'm not gonna leave it in there. It may have the power to give me pain in this moment, but I have the power to release that for myself because the Holy Spirit is the one releasing and cleansing me from that. And so I think that's just such an important truth for us to understand. Um, so I'm gonna read another quote. Um, it's by Dan Forelli, and he says, we become new creations when we are born again in Christ. When we resist sin, we are not fighting against our old nature, but instead we are cooperating with our new selves in him. We are both sanctified and embracing sanctification. We are not working for victory, but rather from his victory. And I think what's important here is there is a daily decision to believe and remember and trust that our old nature is dead and that our new nature is in charge. That we no longer need to fight our old nature with our old nature. We have a new nature that is more powerful. And so what this brings us to conclude is that there is no reason for the Lord to accuse us. Sin has already been dealt with on the cross. The flesh has already been condemned. He'll never start out a thought, but you did this, or look what you did. But rather he'll say, look what I did. I did this, look who I am. And when he convicts us, because he does convict us, when he convicts us about walking in our old nature, it's by reminding us of our new nature. It's by reminding us of who he's created us to be. I'm going to read another scripture here and then um, be closing shortly here. So it's, James 1, to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So I've oftentimes read this in terms of focusing on being a doer of the word, which I think is an important aspect of this. But there's a key factor here. The only way to do what the word says is to know and remember your identity. He's, he's giving you this image of looking at a mirror and walking away. So it's, you need to remember who you are and what you look like. We're to look into the mirror of the Lord's sacrifice and everything he is and see the reflection of the new nature he's given us. That's how we're doers of the word is by remembering who, who we are and remembering that identity of wholeness that we have in Christ alone. If we look at our world today, it can be easy <laughs> to become frustrated or angered by the brokenness in society. People fight over whose lives matter, what choices they're able to make, the independence, and they make choices outside of God's intended freedom and love. Um, and everyone is searching for identity. But what has happened is their teacup is broken. And they have this broken teacup and they don't look to the Father. They don't lift it up. They don't see the hutch of endless teacups. They try to piece it back together. And they, and they hold so tightly onto it because that's all they have. And so they, they can 
greedily hold on to it and they try to defend themselves and try to stand up for themselves. But there's Jesus there that has so much he wants to replace for them. He has so much he wants to take that brokenness and give it to them. But they're searching for identity. I believe everyone is searching for identity and that is part of why our nation needs so much healing is because they haven't found it. Not everyone has found it in Christ. So we even just continue to pray that into our nation and into our world. Um, So even similar to the friends in Job, people are also trying to question and answer the nature of God. See, the teacup itself isn't the wholeness. It's the response of the Father that he makes everything whole for us and within us. He is our wholeness. So we have that new identity in the abundance and the fulfillment of the Father. So just like in Peter's dream and what he mentioned regarding Job, instead of focusing on the brokenness, we focus on the abundance and the nature and character of our loving Father and the identity that he's given us as his children of light, that no matter what is broken around us or the seemingly broken things within us, We have an identity of wholeness in Christ. He is the culmination of everything whole, and it is him who makes us whole apart from anyone or anything, and before, during, and after us doing anything, whether it's good or bad. But the thing about this wholeness is the more we discover, the more we remember, the more we remember the reflection of who we are in Christ, the more we end up doing those things that reflect his glory, the more we end up being those doers of the word, the more we end up walking in the light as children of the light. So Lord, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your glory, for your abundance, that no matter what happens around us, no matter if, like Job, everything was stripped from us, that we would discover the true character of who you are, that we wouldn't listen to the questioning of people around us, we wouldn't listen to the swirls of opinions and controversies, we'd listen to your voice. And Lord, in that, I just pray that we would begin to walk out, that we would begin to understand that we are new creations. We have a new identity in you. And even if we sin, you say that you give us your advocate. You give us the advocate to forgive us those sins. And if we sin, it's not a part of us. It's something we have the power to overcome. And so I thank you, Jesus. I just pray even as we enter more prayer and fasting for our nation, that you, your glory would be revealed, that your wholeness would be revealed, that the brokenness in our nation, the brokenness in our world, by having the wrong identity, by finding identity in the wrong things, in the broken things, that you would reveal who you are so people would be able to see who they truly were created to be. And I just thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So knowing who we are and knowing this wholeness that we have in Christ it is a definite factor in spiritual warfare. It is. Just things in closing here. Thank you so much. That was really good. I'm glad you shared that story again too. Or a dream, it wasn't a story, I guess, it was a dream.
That was quite a dream. In just a moment, Peter, before we go on as our closing thing, I'm going to have you just pray for our nation and whatever the Lord puts on your heart for that, we'll pray together. But I was going to mention to those watching online, but even you here, you can, if, if you know someone that the Lord prompts you to share this with, either through uh, Facebook or YouTube, you know, you can just go there and then... And um, so just that encouragement, some may not know about it yet, or some maybe just need reminding. And then we want to extend our sympathies today to the family of Bob Johnson, Robert Johnson. Many of us remember him. Uh, he passed away this week. That's Calvin and Steve Johnson's uh, father, Dean's Tanner's grandfather, others we may know, Tad, and uh, special memories of Bob. He was such an encouraging, I was telling Calvin, I think it was Friday, that uh, so often when he would come out of a service, he would look at me and say, he would give me such encouraging words when he would come out. He was a real encourager. But he is with, with those that have gone before, but with Jesus in heaven now. Uh, we want to remember our sister Carla. She's been dealing with the COVID virus in her body, and it sounds like she is doing better, right? But we're, we are praying for you, Carla. We're total, and Scott is home as well. I don't think he has gotten that, though, so we just thank you, Lord, for protection from that. And uh, we know there's others, too, that have been tested and so forth now, and we're kind of waiting on that, and we just thank you, Lord, for your covering, protection, your healing from any virus or disease, bacterial or viral infections, in Jesus' name. Let's stand up as we close and have Peter lead us in prayer now for our nation as we close. And it, you know, this picture, I don't know if you've seen that. I don't know, if, can you zoom in on that, that picture there? Can you see over? Can you sit down there? Uh, okay. But uh, this is a picture actually from Brett and Tracy Benke. And you can see the hands of the person by the flag praying for our nation. It's really quite a painting. It's an original painting that they gave the church. So, Jesus, we do lift up the United States of America at this time, our wonderful, beloved country. It just, it strikes me, Jesus, as I'm just thinking now on that story of Job, that it was Satan who took away all the things that he had in life. He was this, he stole, he destroyed the things we know that evil does, the things that we see every day in our world when we flick on the news, we see the evil one at work. But it strikes me that the end of the story also involves a taking away in which you take away Job's ideas that he had of who you were and replace them with a new life. So Jesus, I ask that at this time, that even though we've seen the evil one taking away and destroying, that you would do the new work, that you would take away our ideas of who you were, that you would take away what we thought we knew about you and replace it with a life, with a new life that flows and flows into new living, a new being, a new 
United States, Jesus, a new way of seeing our world, a new way of seeing the people about us, our governments, our issues, our controversies, that those things be washed by the water of who you are, Jesus, the spirit of who Jesus Christ is in our world, that that name would be preached from the highest mountains, would be preached from the tallest buildings, we preached in the lowest gutters, Jesus, that you would be known and known greatly and known in a way that we've never known you before, Jesus. We pray that earnestly, we pray that with the deepest parts of ourselves, that we ourselves would know you every day in different ways, in changing ways, in new ways, that we would see your glory, Jesus, see your glory come in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our world, Jesus, that you would be known above all things, above all things, Jesus, you, you, Jesus, you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. There's nothing more we can say, but Jesus Christ, be in us. Jesus Christ, be who we are. Be who we are, Jesus. Be who we are. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And I did forget one thing here for giving of our tithes and offerings. If you're watching online, you can mail them to Post Office Box 67, 10 Strike, Minnesota 56683. Or online, you go to our website. Or we have our boxes. If you're here, the boxes in the back. We continue to give right through the through everything. Right? Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Peter.